Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. Good morning. Well, good afternoon from my end. It's morning time where Jesse is. Uh, how do you find the morning recording sessions, dude? Do you enjoy them? <laughs> um, you know, it takes me a second to sort of get into mode to, to speak, but I have to admit the one thing that helps a lot is caffeine. I'm back on the, the caffeine. So if I get a cup of cup of Joe in me, I'm, I'm good to go, man. And I do enjoy this no matter what time we do it. So there's that. We've been very blessed recently uh, to have a really amazing range of, of fascinating and inspiring individuals. Um, everybody from, you know, like Native American black metal musicians to published authors. Um, and, and we're bringing it back around and kind of tying back into the whole Kill Switch family tree yeah. with this one, which is very exciting. So in terms of like personal links we've had on your fiance. We've had on your father. We've had on your bandmate, Adam D. Today's guest is uh, your drummer, Justin's partner, which is amazing. Um, and you came to me with the idea to bring on Lee as a guest onto the show. Um, why don't you you know, tell our listeners and, and viewers a little bit about what Lee does, and then we'll invite her onto the show and she can tell us more. So Dr. Lee Clay um, is a brilliant mind, and I met her uh, a few years back. Didn't know what to expect. You know, Justin's kind of an odd dude. <laughs> I do love him. He's my brother, but I was like, I don't know. And uh, when I met her, I was like, wow, okay, this makes sense why he's happier. He's calmer. He's he's a little more considerate. Um, and she truly is like his his better half. She's a great lady. Very smart. And um, we went out to dinner. It was uh, our managers, Vaughn, Kenny, Justin, her, myself, and, and my ex. And, of course, uh, we've had Vaughn on the show as a guest as well. Oh, yeah, Vaughn as well, yeah. And the conversation was stimulating and I was fascinated by uh, her knowledge of um, forensics and, uh, you know, people who watch shows like CSI and all that. Like I, I was fascinated by her knowledge of that. And then <clears throat> the fact that she's an author, she's written uh, a book. She's working on a book currently, but I'll let her talk about that. But yeah, just a really smart person. Um, fun to be around. Good conversationalist. So it's kind of a no brainer to have her on. Uh, for various reasons and i really admire the fact that she's a full-time author right now and she's focusing on her her writing more than anything so i think without further ado let's let's have her on dr lee clay please welcome to stoke the fire Dana. there she is hello thank you both i'm really I, excited that was such a nice introduction thanks jesse yeah you know I was going to say, I've heard Jesse do a fair few introductions about people he knows, respects, and admires, and that was definitely one of the most heartfelt and complimentary I've enjoyed. Lovely words. 
Um, and an absolute pleasure to meet you over the medium of Zoom. Yes, hey? nice to meet you. <laughs> I love your backdrop. I was saying just before you joined us, it reminds me a lot of many of the houses here in England, the kind of old National Trust. Um, beautiful. <laughs> is that a piece of English furniture or is it? It's actually like a room divider. So it, um, I recently moved my office from downstairs to upstairs. So behind me is a vanity nobody wants to see. So it's a nice little room divider. So it makes it look, I don't know, a little fancy. It ups the fancy, I think. Well, you're like the Wizard of Oz right now. You're behind the curtain. Or, or exactly. what's behind the curtain is is Oz and, and, and you're in front hiding it from from all to see talking absolute nonsense as we no, start it's a wizard of Oz kick it's <laughs> i was it was from um yeah our conversation we were talking about inspiring songs lee mm. and and uh, the last one that i picked was somewhere over the rainbow which is a a firm favorite of mine so yeah that's some subconscious analysis right there it must still be on my mind i got to watch that film this weekend anyway um i think we should begin with justin uh, <laughs> how did you two meet tell yeah, us all get that out oh, of the way and we can talk about the real stuff <laughs> yeah we met the old-fashioned way on tinder um <laughs> you know one of those swipe things <laughs> um and we had a date at a brewery um where i had a girlfriend meet me first because you know safety first you know you always want to have a public place so advice for everybody out there online dating meet in a public place and if you have a friend that can leave right when the date starts it's even better so met at a brewery he did not try to murder me, so we moved on to dinner, and um, we played basketball at a friend's house that night. And I don't know if he let me beat him, but I won. So that was—I think—that was smart of him either way. Um, <laughs> so I was a, Wait, he's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how how we met, and it's been a little bit over six years now. So so quite a quite a good Tinder date, I guess. Yeah, and you've made yeah. a big, like I said earlier in the intro, you made a big difference. I can see the shift in him. He was a pretty miserable guy oh. for a while there. And, uh, he, you know, before I even mentioned that he was with you, we all saw a change. We're like, something's different with him. And he started talking about it. He's like, aha, this makes sense. So, <laughs> That's it. So thank, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are welcome. <laughs> Very welcome. I love that. That goes to show that there is hope in the, the online dating community because I know it's a very fickle and you know troublesome area for a lot of people to navigate i've never done it myself so i don't know the ins and the outs but yeah how many bad dates if you don't mind me asking how many bad dates did you have to go on before you met justin and found a good one there were i think there were more good than bad so that's a positive to put out there there were some definite weirdos um which no offense to to weirdos because there can be awesome weirdos. I pride myself as being a, a weirdo myself. Um, but there were kind of the ones that put your teeth on edge, you know, like, ooh, I would not have talked to them if it wasn't for the computer first. Um, but I would say most most of the the gentlemen were were nice. So that's there's more hope out there for for online dating. I'm old fashioned and I just yeah, I can't get my head around the idea of connecting with someone over uh, you know, text and stuff before I say that Jesse, <laughs> I recently, as a, as a funny little anecdote, uh, Lee, I recently was involved in a kind of six month online, long distance relationship of sorts. And then when we finally did meet, it didn't end well. Well, it didn't really start. It ended before it started. So 
yeah, me saying I'm old fashioned, and then I see Jesse just going, "Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what about that whole six month Zoom thing you had?" But that was a pandemic thing. That was a rare exception to the case. Does how much does the dating app world relate to the work that you do, uh, which we will you know momentarily get into? Um, but is that an area that you explored in your thesis, or was the dating app community not really up and running? by that point because when when did you do the the doctorate was it 2019 2019 yeah so dating world was flourishing then for sure but it wasn't that was not the uh the focus although it could be a very there have been some studies on that and um very fascinating ones just showing a lot of different things um what women prefer what men prefer you know um it's very 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 interesting so that could be a whole other world to look into um but no, that was not the focus of my uh, my dissertation. It was Facebook, which cringe. Um, immediately after I finished my analysis of Facebook, I got off of it because it's so terrible, <laughs> or just what I saw was so so terrible um, on there. And it was uh, rape myths, which are um, false beliefs about uh, sexual assault or rape that kind of proliferate in the society. So proliferate. Hopefully, I said that right. <laughs> yeah, let's unpack that if we can. Um... I had a brief skim through the um, the amazing, it's about 120 page document uh, and you explore every avenue from, you know, alcohol to clothing to, um, but it's, if you could, um, how would you sort of give us a, an overview of that, you know, quite heavy uh, and, you know, sad, I, I presume, and, you know, violent. And it's, it's, I mean, it's just, as you say, it's an ugly world, isn't it? The online community can be amazing. And we've discovered that through this podcast, but also on platforms like Facebook in the comments section right. uh, is every um, malfunction of humanity, isn't it? From cruelty to ignorance and everything in between. So yeah, give us a, an overview of the, you know, the work that you did for your PhD, if you wouldn't mind. No, absolutely. And this is, um, what I was speaking about with with Jesse um, that first night we met, um, I was talking about this is what I want to do, and it was kind of exciting to talk about it and then actually to do it. You know, because sometimes you have these big ideas and um, they might not work out, but this was something that I was able to do and um, work towards. And I wanted to see just how prevalent um, these false ideas about sexual assault were online, and. Some of the false ideas are like alcohol, like you said, if a woman generally, so this is in general terms, um, although men do get sexually assaulted, women are at least reported crimes are, are higher than um, men. So if a woman drinks alcohol and she's victimized, that makes her more at fault. Yet if a man drinks alcohol and victimizes, he's less at fault. So it works kind of reverse there or clothing, you know, clothing, if you're wearing something sexy. You're asking for, you know, sexual attention, those types of things. So I wanted to see if those ideas had moved to online because they're supposed to be subtle. You know, people are going around saying these things like I, I think this or not most people. Some people do, <laughs> but not most people aren't out there saying I, I believe this. They kind of have it in the back of their mind. You know, if they, they read something in the newspaper, they're like, oh, yeah, that person was asking for it because they we're at a party and they started making out with somebody and they dressed a certain way. So obviously, you know, they're at fault, but most of the time it's very subtle internal type of thing. Um, so I wanted to see if that had moved online in a less subtle way because the Facebook comments that I looked at were public, you know, anybody could look at them. And that was part of the deal. I wanted to see if they, those types of ideas had moved 
to, into a more public forum. And I also wanted to see if those ideas about alcohol or clothing were, were still relevant because um, during the Me Too movement, um, the, the big thing was why didn't these people report when something happened to them, right? Somebody was sexual assaulted. So why didn't they immediately run to the police station? And some people do, um, but a lot of people don't. But that's the same with all crimes. Almost half of crimes are maybe more are unreported sexual assault or not. It's, it's all crimes. So um, that type of attention isn't generally focused on other victims of crimes, but sexual assault. Like, why didn't they do this? They must have a motive. So I wanted to see if that kind of big thing that was uncovered during the Me Too movement had moved, you know, kind of into the more public online realm. So what I did was uh, Justin redacted comments for me because I wanted nobody's name to be in this data, even though they were public, I kind of wanted them to, to, to stay a little bit more private. So I had over 18,000 comments that I looked at for 10 different news media sites, just to see how many of them contained um, these old rape myths about like alcohol or um, making out leads to sex or clothing, and maybe some of, some of the new um, ideas about sexual assault. Like, why didn't they report? They must have some motivation. This is a witch hunt against a certain type of person. So it was. And what you're very talking about is basically victim blaming, right? Exactly. Absolutely. Yep. yep. So are we blaming the victim in these old ways, or are we blaming the victim in these, you know, these newfound ways? So it was, it was very interesting. Um, a lot of the rape myths were these newer ways. Like, why didn't they report? They must have some motivation. Is it money? Is it revenge? Um, those types of things. Um, rape as a joke was a big one. Um, and this is still, sometimes I'll read comments in like the Washington Post or the New York Times, the intellectual papers or what have you. And people will still make jokes about rape. If somebody got arrested, they're, they'll be like, hope they don't drop the soap in the jail cell. And I mean, yes, people should be held accountable for the crimes they committed, but do we want anybody in our custody to be raped or sexually assaulted? No. So jokes like that don't really do serve any purpose uh, to promote the better betterment of our society. So still to this day, I'll read comments like that and I'll be like, oh, geez, I haven't changed much. Um, yeah, but yeah pretty, it, was, it was interesting. It was very interesting. Run of the mill, though, right? I mean, that's that's legitimately run of the mill. I hear it regularly, not just reading it in comments, but I hear it in everyday life when yeah. someone goes to jail. Rape is 100 percent in the forefront of the joke. Yeah. To this day. Yeah, to the, the and it's like um, comedians do it, um, regular people do it. It's really, it's really a, a thing that that happens. Yeah, it's just something that you, I don't know if you take it for granted or it's just something that you don't even think about. But joking about rape is, oh shucks, I feel like I need to go read my dissertation again. But it's it's just something that kind of links you to these types of ideas, these false attitudes about rape. You're more likely to to believe these negative um, things if you kind of joke about it. So. Yeah, it was a very interesting Facebook comments are, oh my word, if you were in a bad mood, just go on to some, any public article and look at the comments and be like, oh my word, this is where everybody comes to just not be their best selves for sure. Well, there's no accountability there. And I, th I find that with YouTube as well, you know, and that's why I stay away from all that stuff. And I do have a Facebook page, but I do, I'm never on there sort of reading none of that because it's a toxic environment. But um, do you think that's part of the the reason is there's really you can't there's no accountability. You're not going up to somebody's face and saying it to them or or making that comment. And someone can actually, you know, in real time, respond yeah. to you with body language and all those things taken away. 
I think is a huge part of our downfall society because you're not seeing someone's eyes. You're not hearing the tone of their voice. There's so much that goes into that will strike empathy in somebody and allow them to understand where you're coming from. So human understanding and, and our connection has become so, um, so what's the word I'm looking for? So decreased because there's, there's no face-to-face interaction. It's just words on a screen. And that's dangerous, I think. It, it really is. Um, I talk about this <laughs> when I'm driving with my, my kids sometimes, because I think driving is very similar. There's people doing all sorts of things, running red lights, um, cutting in front of you, riding your ass, you know, all these terrible things that they wouldn't do if you were walking maybe with them. And I, I tell my kids, like, from the age of zero to 18, you're immediately sanctioned for something that you did, right? If you did something wrong, you're grounded, you have to do extra chores, you don't get your allowance, something like that. But as adults, adults are the wild west. You know, once you hit 18, you're a legally adult, you could kind of do whatever you want. And the more that people don't get that accountability, the more they'll push the envelope and the more that they'll they'll run red lights or do nasty comments online. So I think you're absolutely right. It's that accountability for adults. Like there's really very limited ways that we're held accountable for, for what we do. Yeah, I'm reminded um, of a, a thing I saw online with these two dogs and there's a, a fence between them and they're just at each other. Rah, 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 rah. The fence moves and they're both just like, oh, hey, hi, hi. And they're like kind of hanging out together. And I, f- I feel like that's with humans too. my interaction in my little my little world of people making fun of me or talking shit to me about what I do. Um, I find oftentimes if I'm able to meet them in person. And I've invited people to come. Hey, I'm playing a show. Want to come talk about this? This is in the past. And I'll meet these people. And they're like super nice to me after like a really brutal interaction online. And it, it's just kind of funny to me how. Cowards. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's that they are empowered by the fact that there, again, is no accountability for what you're saying. And I would assume that goes very much in line with derogatory comments or or jokes about somebody who is in a really bad position. And that's so disheartening to me. I tend to avoid it like the plague. And for you to have to dive into that for a a dissertation, that must have taken a bit of a toll on you. Did you you feel like you lost a little hope in humanity while working on this? Yeah, it was just shouting. Everyone was shouting. And not all of it was related to the article even. Some of it was just general shouting. A lot of election stuff. completely unrelated to the article but people were using these platforms to just shout whatever they they felt on there um so it was it was very disheartening because we should have constructive conversations about i mean everything really but especially sexual assault because it's so damaging to people and not just people to to society if we lived in a world free of sexual assault and rape oh my, my like i just can't even imagine how beneficial and wonderful that would be if we could have constructive conversations about it it would be awesome, but seeing those comments and reading them and just it's it really did kind of put you in a place where like, oh no, <laughs> we're on the we're just heading downhill fast. Um, so that's why I got rid of my Facebook account. Um, and which is fine, Facebook's fine, you know, a lot of people do a lot of things on there, um, share baby pictures, but a lot of it's still screaming into that void, putting negative things out there just because you have this platform where you can do it, and it is a little sad. Just as a little weird side note, I think that sharing baby pictures online is one of the worst things that a parent can do. Personally, I'm not a parent, so I know I don't have a you know a, a necessarily a voice in that 
topic and I'm going to maybe cause some offense to some people here but um I just think that when those when my baby like when I would have girlfriends come visit me at my house and my mum would go here's his embarrassing baby pictures it's like this moment where you go oh, no don't get the baby pictures out and it's like well now they're like online for everyone to see and obviously you know the babies aren't <laughs> consenting in the publishing of them oh, so it's man. this whole other hot topic right that's fine I never even thought of that yeah yeah I I try to always now I ask my kids they're older I have a my daughter will be 16 next in October that's crazy and then my son turns 14 tomorrow um so I asked them I was like is it okay if I if I put this out there um because I sometimes you'll be like why would this parent post this thing have you seen those shaming videos that parents used to post where a kid would do something yeah. and then they would like shoot their laptop or something crazy like that just online I don't even know it does why would you put that out there it's the so wild you, west out there isn't it? right so you mentioned your kids now I'm curious with this are they seeing that type of behavior? Are they how are they dealing with their um their peers online or even in schools? Because things have changed so radically. You know, I, I definitely feel my age when I speak to um, my niece uh, and my nephews. Um, and thankfully, they they're down south. They're in a really protected community, and it's kind of like Mayberry. It's very sort of like Americana and sweet where they live, but um. I'm just curious with, with you, how do you see in your interactions with your kids? Cause um, I think a lot of parents don't have these conversations with their kids. They just kind of let them get on their phone and they do whatever. And God knows what they're doing and, and who's the predator or what's going on. But uh, have your kids have brought up anything to you? Have you noticed anything with them, with their interactions with this type of stuff? Yeah. Um, I remember, so I'm, I just turned 38. So I remember having the internet, like kind of youngish maybe like 13 something like that and it was pretty gross even then <laughs> um you know you would go on this online forum and people would ask for your age sex location and then it would get all weird for that so you know fast forward how many other years and it's kind of still like that um I know my daughter has gotten some bullying um some some bullying stuff online and I was watching so this is I don't know, this just kind of blows my mind because parents don't have these conversations with their with their kids. Like you're saying, I was watching one of her um, volleyball games and everyone had left like Justin and um, Autumn, um, Autumn's dad and stepmom had left. And I was there just, I was I think I was doing some schoolwork or something. I was just sitting there on my computer. But the little boys behind me, maybe like 13, started talking. And they're like, man, have you seen this pic of her, her like her pussy and all this stuff? And I'm like, oh, I have to say something to them. One, because, ew, why are you showing people pictures like that? Two, why do you have these pictures? Three, don't you know that's illegal and you could get in trouble if you're sending these, even if you're a young person. So I turned around and I said, said something to them to the effect of like, guys, you know, this is child pornography. Even though you're a kid, if you send this to somebody or do something with this, this is child pornography and you can get in trouble. Like, so I kind of just let them know. I even gave them my business card um, yeah. if their parents wanted to talk to me or something, because I don't have no problem talking to parents and saying, please just let your kids know. So I, I, I tell my kids that like, I understand there's maybe some pressure to send some things, but don't um, for a lot of different reasons, but you definitely don't want to get in trouble for something that seems innocent at the time. And then, you know, could kind of almost ruin your life if it gets out there. Hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. of like TikTok, for example, that ship is like dangerous ground for a lot of young women as well. 
Mm -hmm. scary times, man, for sure. Do you deal much? uh, I was reading through the kind of different classes and studies and stuff that you've, you've done over the years. Do you explore um, in the work that you do the kind of criminal and deviant behavior and you look at the abusers and character traits and does that world take up part of what you do? Um, It didn't really much. A few years ago, I did an internship, which was wonderful. It was with our public defender's office and um, anyone around here can do it as long as they like pass a background test and they can get to the jail at certain times and all that good stuff. So what you do is you um, go to the jail every morning at seven and you interview the people who are going to use the public offender or the public defender (laughs) um, for their for their trial. So you talk to these individuals, there's like four of us sitting there and we're interviewing the people who were arrested the night before or who had a warrant served to them while they're in jail. Cause some people, you know, had another crime charged to them while they're in jail. So they'll have to come and have their first appearance. So um, just looking at the, the people I talked to, um, it was very eye-opening. One, because I got to see face-to-face, you know, talk talking about that face-to-face exposure, I got to see face-to-face a person who was arrested for could be you know anything a lot of domestic violence there was a lot of DUIs a lot of possession um very rarely anything more serious than that but you got to see face-to-face these individuals and you got to learn some characteristics about them so overall if you ever get arrested one of the first things you lose is your privacy right because everyone around me is hearing what i'm asking these people um how much do you make do you take any meds for any um anything you know any physical or or mental issues that you're having um you know tell me about the crime what happened so everyone around you can can hear this there was one person who disclosed that they had hiv and one of the other interns wouldn't even touch them anymore. Like they wouldn't like do anything. Like like the the stigma is baffling, you know, like they wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't even take the pen. They took the pen from them with a piece of paper and threw it in the trash after that. It was just astounding to see how people are treated. So you have no privacy. You're discussing all these things in front of people. And the the big thing that I noticed was um, education because we asked our education level many of them were high school graduates. Many of them were not high school graduates. Very few of them um, had a college degree, which is not to say that a college degree is end all be all, but it was just an interesting pattern to see some of the most um, heinous crimes. There was a gentleman who um, was charged with um, raping his wife. He had, I think it was a sixth or seventh grade education. So just kind of seeing that and, and him talking about the mental health um, issues that he had and just seeing those kind of patterns over and over again was was super, super eye-opening. And I mean, I felt privileged to be there. Um, not that it's, I don't know, there was one case that made me, I had to go cry in my car afterwards. It was a child pornography case, but I was there for that person at that time, right? I had to be there. I was there as their connection to the public defender's office. So I had to, to kind of serve my purpose there. Um, so it, it was a privilege to be a part of the the system, no matter how small it was, to just see that it is people whose lives are being affected. Um, probation violation was a big one, and it could be something small, like you didn't um, change your address with the probation office or something like that, and these people would come to jail, and it's just kind of sad to see that, and a lot of them would be there before their trial, because a lot of the inmates at the 
local jail are there for pretrial, right? They can't afford bail or they don't get bail. So they're just waiting there. They haven't been um, found guilty yet. So it's, it's very, it's very eye-opening. And I feel, I feel grateful for the opportunity to actually see all of our, a little bit of our system kind of in motion and, and how it affects people and how it affects the, the people working there, you know? I love your empathy and, and positivity in the face of some, you know, challenging and, and, and as you alluded to, quite horrific and dark stuff. Um, and yeah, I guess you sort of touched on there another component. Do you see this a lot as well, just low economic backgrounds? I think, yeah, the high majority of people that were there, it was a rarity to have somebody afford a private attorney. So I think to qualify the, for the public defender, you have to make below a certain income threshold. And that was, I would say, 95% of the people we, we talked to in the jail each day. So it was definitely a lower socioeconomic status. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's dark stuff for me because I can't even imagine being in a jail cell, you know, and especially being there for for like you said, probation for not changing your address, stuff like that. And you got people sitting in cells that just because they don't have money, you know, they're not able to have their freedom until they're proven innocent. And I think that's a huge um, problem with the the. I mean, there's many issues, but that's one of the problems with the the just justice system we have here in this country is a lot of it has to do with money. And that that's something that just every time I hear it, I just I think of people that I know that are sitting in prison cells that are innocent, that are waiting to be proven so because they can't afford to be out until their trial hits. So that's yeah. So excuse me if I just kind of drifted for a second, but it sounds like, yeah, you've done extensive research. I mean, to get a doctrine too, that's just uh, it's a lot of work. And I definitely commend you for that. What I wanted to touch upon, too, is uh, is your book. And I was curious about this. Um, and the name of it, I just had it. Oh man. What's the name of your book? I'm sorry. Clay something. Yeah. Clay stained memories. And, um, it's not because of my last name, which just happens to be <laughs> clay. It's, um, named after the County that I grew up when I was little It's clay County, Florida. So, and it has to do with like the actual dirt clay. So clay stained memories. Um, so my question to you is, um, how much of that book involves, anything from your life or was that purely you being inspired by other people's stories or, you know, talk a little bit about that. Um, and then what brought you to want to write a book in the first place too? Yeah. So, um, it's fiction, but it does have parts of my life in there. Um, if you read the book, it opens on a scene where a young six-year-old girl was sexually assaulted under a trailer. That was me. That happened to me when I was very, very little. I have no idea who did it. I don't, you know, remember anything like that. So, um, but it is, that's something I remember from my early childhood. So that's in there. And that's like the first pivotal point for the the main character, because they're looking back at their life while they're contemplating suicide. So they're starting at the first memory that they have that just, it's this traumatic memory. And then just kind of building on there and it touches on all sorts of things, you know, substance abuse, um, partner, partner violence, family violence. Um, there's sexual assault in there. So it's little dabbles of my personal life, little dabbles of stories that I heard from, from other people. And then I really took a lot from, um, criminal justice theory, um, which sounds so, so fucking nerdy, but, um, I took a lot from criminal justice theory, you know, how trauma impacts a victim and how it can, you know, lead to things, 
um, like promiscuity, like um, um, over under eating, like uh, drug or alcohol abuse, like all these things. Um, I just kind of took different parts of different theories because that's life. Um, people told me this book was sad and it is. So it's really freaking sad, you know, um, it's, it's, but that's life for some people. Some people's lives are just sad and they have terrible things happen to them and they try to get out and it's just, they fall back down in the muck and they can't recover. So while I didn't sell it very much because nobody wanted to publish it because it was sad. Um, what, that's just the story. That's just what it is. Some people's lives are filled with these types of things and they make decisions based on what's happened to them over time. And, you know, that's, that's it. So it was, yeah, it was just like a kind of a mashup of things that happened to me, things that I've heard and just things that I've um, kind of learned as I've studied criminal justice. Congratulations for having the discipline to do it, first of all. And, and second of all, um, yeah, that must've been therapeutic, I'm assuming, uh, as, as a part of that process. And I know Matt can speak to this too, having to write a book and how arduous that can be. But um, yeah, congratulations for even completing it. I think that's a, a great accomplishment. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, we have a lot of those stories on this show as well. As you say, um, you know, life isn't always sunshine and roses and, and good times for a lot of people. Their reality is bleak and, and people do. And we've spoke to people on this show who've come from such extreme places of trauma and you just no hope and they just you know falter and fall again and again and again and it's you know for, for a lot of people unfortunately their reality is hardcore and those stories do need to be shared um and yeah it's uh it is a draining process writing a book but it is i think ultimately a very cathartic especially if you're writing from such personal places as you were um is it the one novel that you've got just that one Yes, I wrote yeah. that. So here's a funny aside, Lincoln, back to, to Kill Switch. Um, so I wrote the novel in 2015. And to celebrate, I drove by myself from my home to Atlanta to go see Kill Switch. Um, and that, that was that was kind of fun. I was just in the mosh pit having a good time um, there. So didn't know Justin then. This was all before, you know, all this. I just, it was just something you know, I did something badass and I wanted to celebrate. So why not go, you know, mosh out to a uh, heavy metal? <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, purple kind of has similar stories, right? Of going to your gigs before knowing you. And yeah, I love that. Yeah. Actually, she just pulled out a picture the other day of her crowd surfing and sort of doing this with her tongue out with her boots on. And it's way before I um, made any connection with her. And she was just a fan going to a show. And uh, yeah, another person who's been through crazy trauma that, um, you know, has picked herself up and dusted herself off and, and been successful. And yeah, I guess I kind of want to circle back to that because that's that's heavy. I did not know that about you. Um, and I knew the book had elements of, of, of personal uh, stuff in there. But um, how has that affected you, do you think, in your life? And how have you been able to like grow and and try to understand your past and how has that affected you as in the work that you do now do you think that had something to do with your life turning into what it has now with what you're studying and what you do yeah yeah i mean 
what better way to show a person that they're an object than to treat them like one, you know? So you kind of take that lesson with you when you're shown that you're an object to be used, you, you take that with you. And it's, <laughs> it's sad and it's hard to overcome. Um, so it took me a, a long time to kind of get past that mentality, right? Like I'm here for, for others. Um, um, let me numb the pain and I, I numb the pain in, in plenty of ways, but luckily I kind of, I came, I came out ahead. Um, and it, it's just working at it. Um, I think creativity is a big part of that. Um, I've always been a reader my whole, whole life, you know, always I would read books like maybe it was because it was before the internet, you know, so that was like my entertainment by myself. I would just read and read and read and read. Um, and, and I, and I've always wanted to be a writer, um, always wanted to be one. So I think that kind of helped me. I had this goal, um, to kind of where I could eventually tell my story if I wanted to, right? Like I had this platform where I could write the words that put my story, how I wanted my story to be told. And it's just a little part of my story and that's fine as well. So I, I think that kind of helped where I kind of had this love of words and creativity from a young age. And it eventually as I matured, cause you know, we don't mature, our brains don't mature until what, mid 20s, 25 or whatever. So it took a while to get there. It took a while to overcome all these things that started with somebody doing something to me. And then it was something I was doing to myself for a long time. And then kind of to overcome that. Um, but I had this kind of this creativity and I've always been good at school, thankfully. And I love learning and researching. So I kind of had these guiding lights. And I think that's so helpful. Everybody needs something to to guide them. Um, I'm an atheist. I, I have no belief in any afterlife or anybody up there. And a lot of people do, and that's their guiding light. So I had to find an alternative. I had to find these passions that were kind of bringing me towards being a better version of myself. So I had all these things. I had school, I had writing, I had reading, I had all these things that eventually dragged me from the muck. So I was able to kind of be a better version of myself. And I still work on it every day, right? You can never give up. There we go. That's real strength right there. Um, you know, when people do have something they do believe in and that helps them, when you have nothing you believe in, it's, you know, entirely down to yourself to lift yourself up, um, which is extremely commendable. I, I was um, having a look through one of the TED Talks that you did on the subject of atheism. Uh, I wrote down something that was in the, not in the video itself, but in the post. So you say, uh, the human capacity for violence and harm does greater damage than any religion. And I would love to use that as a jumping point for um, the inherent evil nature of humanity. Just that little, you know, throwaway topic, because a lot of people who are atheists like to blame religion, I think, for, you know, all the evils throughout history. But, you know, as you kind of allude to with that, it's us. It's humans. We're the problem, right? I mean, we invented religion as a means of inflicting a lot of these atrocities. Um, do you believe inherently that human beings are are evil? <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that humans have capacity. I like to call it capacity theory. It's not a theory. It's just my freaking thoughts or whatever. We have the capacity for such great harm. We also have the capacity for such great good. I think we do ourselves a disservice by focusing only on this capacity for harm because then people forget they can hurt other people. They don't realize it until something like tough in their life happens, right? 
and then they snap. Like it's just too much pressure and then they snap and they didn't realize they had this kind of inherent ability to be a dick, be violent, be whatever in the, in their life. So I think we do, it's great to focus on the good, but I think we also need to focus on this inherent, you know, like, yeah, we can all be, be terrible. We can all be terrible. All of us have it. And it's only on recognizing that, that we can move forward and try to kind of focus on the good. So, so, so yeah, we, atheist, couple of books that I've read written by atheists, they've just been so arrogant. And and there's nothing wrong with arrogance per se, but to think that you have the answer is just mine. It just blows my mind. Um, and it's also quite lazy in thinking to blame everything on one thing, um, to, to blame everything on religion. It's very blanket statement, right? And blanket statements never solve anything. They never get to the the the, the gray areas of life. So yeah, I think humans humans have great capacity for good and bad. And a lot of the time religion brings out the bad, right? Because everybody wants to impose their idea of right on another person. But just think about um, what's the the experiment, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, right? That was done in the name of science and it, and it harmed um, like hundreds of black men and their families all in the name of science. Um, so, you know, religion, science, you know, can be at odds at each other with each other sometimes, but the thing they have in common is humans are behind it. So, um, yeah, that's there you go. Hopefully, I, that I, sums it up. Yeah, I would. I would like that on a billboard in every single state on every single highway. Like that, what you just touched upon right there, I think is so crucial. I think that's the majority of our problems as human beings is using blanket statements and using scapegoats because it's so easy to throw out. You know, when you're in a discussion with somebody which a lot of times especially you know going back to the internet they're arguments and people just want to be right so they're gonna throw out that quick easy thing that they know people of their same ideology will back them up and bludgeon this person with their beliefs even though the said statement might have gone down another road that could have actually opened up a discussion that maybe you would have seen a different point of view and you know you talk about politics religion science all of those things there's no there shouldn't be a period on the sentence for any of that shit because arrogance when arrogance comes in and self-righteousness comes in you're not going to get anything accomplished there's there's going to be a point where you're going to agree to disagree but oftentimes it's in a in a uh, vulgar sort of violent way and that's a huge thing for me why i tend to avoid some of those things. Like if, if if I know somebody believes A, B, and C, and I believe um, X, Y, and Z, most of the time for me in my life, I don't even bother because I know how many times I've gone into those conversations where said statement is, is made and it's like, ah, I'm not going to go up against that brick wall. And I think that that's really holding us back as a species. I think it's really holding humanity back from growing and becoming more enlightened is is finding that understanding and compassion and i think what we you just said right there man i i think that's a if there's ever a sound bite that needs to be out there for the world to hear it's that are you listening joey get on it <laughs> yeah, that's joey. our producer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't think you should ever give up though jesse um not to call you out but yeah i think especially someone like you who is so measured um and approachable and, and you know i think that you should always try to reach these people who appear to be finite in their you know and unmovable in their beliefs i think that if you approach them as somebody like you would 
with kindness and intelligence and a gentle way about you, then I think we can still, you know, at least get to some core of, of understanding. Well, I think that's where I think that's where art comes in. I think that's where expression comes in. You know, I do that through my music and my lyrics. That's why, you know, when I do write a song, it's painstakingly long uh, winded and I have to like narrow it down to something that people can sort of like capture. And, you know, I'm always putting those messages in my music. But, you know, I think there's a, also amount of uh, I'm sure Lee, you can uh, attest to this as well. There's a certain amount of protection you need to have on yourself mentally. So your mental health comes into play when you're dealing with certain types of people who won't hear your side of the story and you want to make them see it because you care about humanity. But there's a certain amount of self-preservation that comes into play. And I'm really careful with that because I've got a slippery slope with my mental health. So that's part of my like, you know, my defense is like I will engage to a certain point. But when I see those red flags go up, I'm like self-preservation mode. So that's my excuse. But I, I will never give up on trying to make the world a better place. There you go. <laughs> Good. Thanks. Awesome. <laughs> um, so what's next for you, Lee? Uh, another novel, more dissertation work, more field work. Uh, and, and what have you found to be the most intellectually stimulating and perhaps personally rewarding out of all of those areas? Or do you like the combination of all? So right now, um, I'm still like, it's so hard to adjust from, you know, working an eight to five job to just kind of being here. <laughs> so I'm still mentally trying to get myself to the point where I'm disciplined to write every day. Cause I have a, I do have a novel I'm working on. I think it's pretty cool and pretty timely. Um, it's fiction, it's historical fiction slash dystopian so it'll be something very different than the first book I wrote, which is also a challenge, you know. Um, so I'm working slowly on that, doing research because um, you got to do research for everything almost. Um, and then just being a mom. Um, I know a lot of us, a lot of parents focus on the very young years of a kid's lives. But now my kids are old and I think it's kind of fun that I get to be there a little bit more for them now, you know, going to volleyball game tonight. Um I just dropped my son off at school because the bus was didn't go to their dad's house. So I was like, okay, I have time to do this before this. I can go there and do that. So it's nice to have that ability. Um, I just worked on a sample criminal justice chapter a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it's really fun to just kind of do what I want. And very, this is... That's the dream right I, there. This <laughs> is such a privileged place to be. I did not grow up with a lot of money. And um, not too long ago, I didn't have a lot of money. And I just got very lucky with um, a house that I sold. So this is just like very happenstance that I'm able to do that. So I, um, I'm i always worried. I don't know if a lot of people who grew up um, kind of on the lower socioeconomic status can relate to this, but you're always worried that it's going to go away. Like, am I doing something wrong? Is this okay that I'm kind of here right now? Um, should I, did I earn this money in a, in the proper way? So it's just like, that's also kind of a mind fuck, you know, like where you're like, ah, is this going to be taken away from me because I did something inappropriate? I'm not supposed to have this. Um, so it's I don't know if you guys can relate class, to that. It's like working class guilt, isn't it? Feeling like you're undeserving, but you totally are. I mean, you've worked for a, for a doctorate. So right there, I mean, that's more work than 95% of yeah. humanity do in their lives. So you've earned it. Yeah. And I, I can relate to, to that as well, 100% with, with my, you know, because I was 
full on working class in my brain still is. And even with Beanback and Kill Switch for the past, what, like 12, 11 years now, I can't keep track, but it's been a while and I'm still not used to it. And I still, with my free time, I feel guilty if I'm not working on a song or doing something like, and I've learned to like allow myself to not have to work every single day and burn myself out. But um, I, yeah, I commend you and, and congratulations for, for being where you are right now, where you're able to focus on your creativity and stuff. And if you would, uh, if you don't mind, because um, I talked to Justin about this, um, what are you researching right now? What What is the the rough talk topic of what you're working on right now? I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so um, I don't know if many people know, but during World War II, um, or before that a little bit, there were people trying to influence Los Angeles or California to kind of take over the advertising um area there um so kind of making nazism like more prominent in the united states right they, they wanted a microphone here in the united states so they wanted to kind of take over there so it's a little bit a part of that there was a, a, a some spies led by um this gentleman who kind of infiltrated these um these um, little pockets of people who were really pro-nazi so a little bit of that. And also there's a place in California called Murphy, Murphy Ranch. I believe that's the name. And it was actually a kind of a stronghold, like, oh, I can't think of the name, but it was like a ranch. Um, it was meant for, for people who were pro-Nazi. And um, it was kind of like the ruins are still there, but it got overtaken by the, the government. I think they found like 50 kind of Nazi supporters there when they kind of overtook it. So it's kind of a little bit of a mashup of those two subjects, kind of like this isolated um, ranch area in this um, kind of pro-Nazi um, stuff that was going on in California um, that nobody really, really knew too much about, or you don't hear about it too much. And this spy kind of spying, I guess, that was kind of broke it up. So just a little bit of a mashup. It's super different. Um, to write like this or to write in this vein. Um, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to be presumptuous. You know, I don't want to step on any toes. I want to make it, um, I want to make it work. But I also want to, you know, put out ideas out there because it talks a lot about women as property. It talks um, a lot about, um, it's going to have some um, mental illness kind of stuff in there, tying that into to people who are looking for a cause to support because they don't have that guiding light or maybe, you know, something terrible happened in their life where they are, that guiding light has been substituted with um, mass propaganda or I just want to do all these things in this book. I don't know if it's too ambitious or whatever. So maybe that's part of the reason I'm just going very slowly, but yeah, it's super interesting. Um, here, I got the book right here. I'm reading this book. You guys see that Hitler in Los Angeles. You can so, totally see it because obviously, you know, with the Russians, they use cinema in a big way as a tool of propaganda. And that was kind of, you know, World War One time, I think, right, with like Sergei Eisenstein and those filmmakers. So they, they would have seen the power of it. Obviously, as well, traditionally, Hollywood was ran by Jews, which was their enemy. So their, you know, desire to infiltrate it would have had that incentive as well. Amazing. That's fascinating. It is. Yeah. And I like that you're weaving uh, all the things you're weaving in. You know, it is ambitious. But you know what? fuck it be ambitious that's what it's all about right. life is all about ambition i think you know in a, in a positive way and um yeah so how can people look you up if if, if they want to follow you or like see what you're up to or just you know put yourself out there do you have a website yeah i do um it's my name leeclay.com um and that 
as links to all the social. I am terrible at social media, guys. Um, so don't Well, you're too busy me. doing work of value. It's funny, <laughs> you know, social media is such a pointless realm, but, you know, so necessary. But yeah, most people who claim to be useless to social media are actually the ones that are getting real work done. So no bad thing. And all your writing's available to download on there, isn't it? The dissertation we've been talking about. And... That's free if, if you... If you're bored one Friday night, grab a glass of wine, download my dissertation and, you know, <laughs> be prepared for a good time. Well, no, I think it would definitely be useful to people who, you know, have not only experienced sexual mm -hmm. assault, but perhaps people who are in relationships with people who have and want to gain a better understanding of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, this is what I recommend to my students is don't read. You don't have to read all of it. Go to the, the results page check out what I found. I think that's the most important part. Oh, and can I just add one really super geeky, exciting thing? Um, so one of the goals <laughs> for my dissertation was I used two different rape myth scales um, to kind of guide my coding work. Um, one was the updated Illinois rape myth scale and another was the AMMSA. So the authors of the second one, they looked, they used, they cited my dissertation in an update for their rateness scale. And wow. that's what I wanted. I wanted these scales that we use for research to be updated with maybe some more modern ideas. And they did it. And I was <laughs> over the moon excited to, to read that they, they, they looked at my stuff and they found it valid. And then they did something to their, to their work to, to make it more, more modern. I was so stoked. So geeky, stoked out moment. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Like, come on, man. That's like changing the, the face of what you were studying. That's amazing. Love it. Very cool. Do you have, I know you can't really, you know, pigeonhole or soundbite something as complicated as this, but for anybody out there who is, you know, viewing or, or listening to this that has experienced um, you know, things along the line of what we've been talking about. Do you have any advice that you could offer in terms of not just the healing process, but, you know, maybe the legal process as well? There are, if you don't want to report to the police, I mean, I encourage you to report to law enforcement. That way it gets in the system and it can work its way through. But if you don't, there are alternative means in your state, in your city. So so look those up. Um the the victims advocates victims groups um we have one around here oh my word i forgot the the name but they do really great things with victims of sexual assault and kind of work with them so look look for those um there's also for domestic violence um victims as well so you know just kind of look for that um i know it's hard sometimes um but get help if you need it there's nothing nothing wrong with getting help and help can come in many forms it can come with going to a support group, right? It can go, it could be getting some sort of therapy, psychiatric or psychological, or just a counselor. It can, you know, be joining an exercise group, some sort of help where you are doing something positive, working towards something positive is, is, a, is, is necessary, you know, because sometimes being a victim can be isolating because everybody experiences their victimization in an individual way another you know thing against blanket statements everybody experiences things differently so getting help in the best way that you can um is so it's just necessary um i know a lot of us think we're tough tough as nails or or whatnot but even just having a friend you can talk to or a neighbor or 
you know, just somebody, a therapist, anybody that you can um, kind of work things out with and, and um, find something that you enjoy. Um, creativity that could be employed in any world. It could be employed in data analysis. It can be employed in the arts. It can be employed in, you know, carpentry. Have some sort of creative outlet because you'll feel so fucking good when you make a thing. doesn't matter what that thing is. When you make something and you look at it and you're like, I did that. It's so empowering. And victimization takes away a lot of your power. So making a thing and creating something that just didn't exist before can really kind of restore a little bit of that power so i guess that's my advice wise words i totally agree with that that's that's beautiful especially the creative part for me that's that's definitely helped my brain out a lot and exercise wise words thank you for that and thank you for this talk this was great uh i'm excited for what you're doing now and the fact that you're able to live as an author and uh yeah congratulations on everything thank you jesse lee will you be going out to see the boys on the road Yes. So they're going to be in Jacksonville and this will be the first time the kids see them. So I'm very excited because oh, nice. COVID ruined it twice yeah. that I tried to take them. So I'm going to take, take the kiddos to see. So it'll be fun. Awesome. Big rites of passage moment right there. Better bring your A game, Jesse. <laughs> oh, man. No pressure on me ever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this was amazing, really um, inspiring. And and as you say, I just, as I said earlier on, sorry, I just love the hope and the light that you project. And it isn't just the light coming through the window. <laughs> light. It's the, it's the inner light. It, it beams out of you and it's awesome. And yeah, we need people like you in the world. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. This was a, a lot of fun. I love, see, this is the kind of conversations we should be having. So thanks guys for, for having one with me. That's why we do it. That's why we're here. It just makes me feel honestly better about the world when we have conversations like this because it does combat the rest of the shit that's on social media. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I will see you uh, in, in Jacksonville. And uh, a pleasure. And enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, give give JFO a nice smack on the ass for me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. See ya. Cheers, Lee. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.